Hello, and welcome to another episode of Power From Pain, where we feature guests with inspiring stories that heal. I'm your host, Elona Washington, and I'm honored to have on the show, Takia Green Holmes, wife, mother, inspirational writer, self-harm injury advocate, and founder of Don't Ignore the Scars, LLC. Thank you. Wow. Wow. It sounds like it sounds so weird still hearing someone else say it. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me. You know, I am a fan and um, you inspire me so much. So thank you so much for having me on. I, um, I am really, really honored. Thank you. Well, you're just as inspirational and the viewers and the listeners are going to find out in a few minutes why. So I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing and uh, sharing your story to help others. So um, I like to start in the beginning because it kind of sets the background to where the, the, the pain started and how you got out of it. So can you tell the um, viewers and listeners uh, what your childhood was like? Well, um, at the age of nine, I was almost 10. Um, my sister, I have a younger sister and an older brother, and we um, had to go into the foster care system. My mother struggled with mental health um, most of her adulthood. And um, back then in the 80s, it wasn't referred to as bipolar disorder. It was manic depression. And at that point, they didn't have much um, to treat it with at that time. They didn't know as much about it as they know now. So my mom, um, she struggled with um, mental health. And while she was struggling, she was physically abusive towards me. It was a lot of neglect. Um, my father struggled with substance abuse, both alcohol and drugs. And um, the home was just was just very unstable. So long story short, my mom had a really bad manic episode and um, my grandmother uh, wasn't able to take care of us just for her own health reason and no other family members stepped up. So my brother and my sister and I went into foster care system. My sister and I were actually placed in the same foster home for a little while, but my brother was shipped off to Hagerstown. So that began the division of us. And that was really traumatic, actually. It was pretty bad. So how, um, as a young woman, how did you react or respond? Did you um, um, act out? Um, I think what I, the way that I coped with it, I did a lot of crying. I'll say that. My, I did a lot of crying. Um, my self-esteem was really bad. I just felt like the ugliest little thing ever. Um, my mom had neglected me so much that my hair would not grow. Um, she had permed my hair and not neutralized it. So my hair was so damaged. So that physically, the way that I looked and how I felt inside, I just, I was very timid. I was very withdrawn. Um, and I just felt really ugly. Um, my brother, his was a little bit different. My brother fought all the time. Um, and so he just became very aggressive. Um, my sister who was more like a baby, I don't think she really understood really what was going on. And so I kind of sort of stepped up to be more of a mother towards her. Um, and I found myself having to kind of grow up a little bit faster just because I had a fear that my sister was going to figure out everything that was going on and I wanted to protect her. So that sense of protection carried you through um, your childhood, your sister, and then you ended up going to college, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. So I was blessed in the sense that um, my foster mom, um, she was amazing. She was patient. She was kind. She was a great, um, she was a Christian woman. And so she mended a lot. She healed me a lot. My sister ended up going to um, live back with my mother and subsequently ended up back in care again after going through a couple of group homes. But I I ended up staying. So when we went to the TPR hearing, I said, I want to stay with her. And um, I'll say her name because I have permission to. Claudis Williams, she died um, May 9th, will make two years that she passed away from MS. And I was right at her bedside. And so I was her daughter. And so I was able to see all these great things that I could be because she modeled them, that I could have this house and I could do these things and I could go to college. And so I ended up going to Morgan State University. Um, I actually started my first year at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte. Then I transferred to Morgan State because I was like, I don't want to be away. Never mind. <laughs> um, so my mom um, is alumni from Morgan State and I became a Morganite just as she did. In 1995, I graduated from high school and I went into college. Okay. All righty. So you were blessed because not a lot of people have such um, a good story of the foster care system. So Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And, you know, it was interesting because that's one of the reasons why I chose the social work profession, because I had a social worker that, that she was just a rider down. Okay. She rode for me. Any opportunity that she could get for me, she, she got it for me. And I ended up because of her going into this youth leadership program where we traveled to Colorado and the whole panel discussion was about how you can make the best um, out of the foster care system. Because I think people focus so much on the negative, but there's so much positive. Like for instance, when you go to to school, all the free money and the grants that you get because you are a ward of the state. Um, and so all the things they pay for, like driving school <laughs> and all of the things that you can do, there's so many benefits to being in the foster care system. However, it's, it's challenging because you also are dealing with trauma. And so I was in counseling all of the time that I was in foster care. Mm -hmm. So, okay. yeah. So you were able to cope and carry on. You get married. You have children uh, and in your head, things were perfect, correct? Things were good. Um, I married my high school sweetheart, my children. I have three children, um, 22, um, 14 and five. My two uh, girls are by my, my first marriage and I married my best friend. He was someone who was with me through everything that I went through and um, yeah, I thought everything was right. We had a nice house in the suburbs and we had two girls and everything was good. What kind of mother were you? Very attentive, probably a little bit over the top. Um, I learned later that I was just overcompensating because obviously all the things that I didn't grow up with as a child, I showered my daughter um, V with. She was the only child for nine years. So Alana, I can tell you, she needed for nothing. I, I color coordinated her wardrobe. I had, I'm serious. I had all her shirts, all red shirts, all black shirts. Her shoes were in shoe boxes. They were labeled. She had keepsakes. Cause I don't even have pictures of me when I was a child. Yeah. I don't even know what I looked like. So I, you know, I, I, I really wanted to be this attentive mom that was intentionally focused on giving her great memories. Right. Right. And um, I think you had said, because we spoke about your story before, yeah. that uh, growing up for you, 
um, there was a lot of colorism or you felt that you- Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, one of the major reasons I felt ugly was because my people kept telling, how people kept telling me that I was. Um, I remember some of the worst instances where um, I was teased or taunted because of my color and like fifth and sixth grade was unfortunately people that looked like you and I. Mm -hmm. And that destroyed me. I never thought that anything that was deep complected could ever be beautiful. And so it was this mission that I had to make myself look as much as possible, like the people that looked better, you know, that I thought looked better than me. So I ended up going to cosmetology school. I wanted to learn how to do hair and I wanted to sew in as much hair and make it as straight as possible. You know, um, I wanted to make sure I stayed out the sun. Girl, you can't be in no sun, you know, um, bleach cream, anything you could do to make yourself look like that. Because I remember my foster sister that um, was in the house with me, she was very fair. And we would go out to parties and things and they would be all over her. Or the boys would say, hey, hey, shorty, how you doing? Can I, can I talk to you? And I go, oh, me, I get excited for a second. Then he go, no, not you, the other one. And I'm gonna tell you, um, that did a lot to me. Um, my, my foster mom, who is, my, who is in all accounts, like that's my mom. Um, I remember she sat down and she told me, she said, you know what? She said, don't let people call you nicknames because of your color. That just pudding and, you know, black or whatever. She said, don't do that. She said, because are they calling your sister? Are they calling her vanilla? Are they? And she said, and don't think that when people say, remember you used to hear this, you look good to be, she's pretty to be dark. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a compliment. I'd be like, oh, shoot, you know. Yeah. And my mother told me, she said, that is not a compliment. Do they tell people that you look, you look pretty to be a uh, uh, brown skin. You look pretty to be fair. They don't say that. It's not, it's saying that you, that what it's implying is most women that are deep complected are unattractive and you are the exception. And, and that's an insult. And I never thought about that until my mom said that to me. And she told me, she said, let me tell you something, baby. You are the most beautiful in this whole house. And she made sure I had my hair done every two weeks. And she made sure I always had really nice clothes. And she made sure that when I didn't want to put clothes on, she made me. She made me. She built me up. I owe her everything. Yeah. She sounds, she sounds like a fabulous mother. And yeah, I she was. I miss her so much. Yeah. Mother has absolutely nothing to do with blood. Absolutely. I would say that. I would say that. So what fascinated me about your story, a lot of things did, but you had mentioned that um, you thought everything was good for your daughter or better for your daughter because she was a tad lighter than you or lighter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I actually did. I remember when I had her and it was so hard for me to admit it that when I had her, the first thing I checked was the tip of her ears. In our community, the tip of the ears reveal, reveal the color that your child will be. Mm -hmm. And there's some other traditions we do, like shaping the head and some other things. Um, but I felt this relief. Her dad is the same color as I am. So I was like, you know, I don't know what in the world, but I hope she don't come out chocolate. It's sad, but I would, I, because I didn't see, I didn't associate being dark with anything beautiful. So when 
I started, when we started going through the process of rearing her and things, I never ever thought that a young lady who was this beautiful caramel complexion could ever struggle with anything. How could she? Because you are the acceptable color. Because you have a whole lot of friends, the people make over you all the time. I mean, people wanted to take V all the time, all the time. And in my mind, they only wanted to take her to show her off, dress her up, because she was this light complexion. And that that actually ended up working against me in a lot of ways, because when she started to have early onset of her psychological struggles, I missed it. I was so obsessed with physically dressing her up and make and showing her off as my little light, my little light baby. This is my 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 stat, my my award, my my trophy. Mm-hmm. That I didn't even see that there was more to being a mother than dressing your babies up and treating them like trophies and giving them all these material things. This is my first baby, so I. I didn't know. And you were just giving, you were, you wanted to give her what you didn't have either. Yeah. yeah. And you, yeah. you're a good person with a good spirit. So all of that you were giving her anyway, just because you're just a good person. But I think you, it sounds like you're trying to fulfill a void that you didn't have in your life by giving yes. it to your daughter. Yeah, I really was. I really was Alana. Um, that's a really good point. Um, as I reflect and I think back, um, there were so many missed opportunities for me to connect with my daughter um, emotionally. And I don't think that happened until I realized she was struggling. Um, I heard her say, like when she was in middle school, I heard her say like, mom, you know, I think I'm fat. I heard her say, people call me a cow. But I just thought, okay, well, that's just regular stuff. I was working, I was busy, you know, in my mind, you know, she shouldn't have anything to complain about. She's got a, you know, beautiful home. She's only child at this point. Like, I feel like she can push past this herself. I missed that opportunity to connect with her. And to this day, I really um, regret that because I don't know if she would be in a different place if I would have been able to read the signs and emotionally connect to her to see that it was more than her just feeling bullied. Um, And at that time, you know, as we started working on the book, I realized through her disclosure that the time that I didn't connect with her about people calling her fat and pig and all these things, that was the time that she started cutting. And I absolutely missed it. I missed all of it. Wow. And how long was she cutting? Um, when I discovered? Years. Years. And looking back over those years, what are the signs now that if someone watching this show would be like, oh, I need to check on my daughter or my son? The first thing I will say is this. We now understand that there are certain psychological issues that increase the risk of your child becoming a cutter, cutter and self-harming. So if you have a a child, um, a young lady who is displaying signs of depression, who has low self-esteem, who is going through challenges in school with their peer group, 
you need, you have to have to engage them. You absolutely have to say to her, how bad is this? What's going on? And you can't come in with, you should be all right, don't worry about it. You can't do that, okay? Because before they feel comfortable enough to show you what they've been doing, which they're embarrassed about themselves, by the way. They're hiding it because it's humiliating for them. Every time they feel an emotion, instead of them crying or saying, I'm upset or becoming angry, like some of us have the honesty, people don't realize when you wild out, as they say, that's a gift that you know that when you feel something, you can express it, whether you're crying or you're getting angry. When you have a young lady who's cutting, they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to say, <sighs> or they don't. They panic, they're afraid to disappoint you. They're afraid of showing attention to themselves. So instead of them crying, they cut. So, when you, so that's the first tip. If you know and you see that, already engage your child and find out how bad it really is. And if it's at a point where it's creating anxiety for them, that they're isolating themselves, they don't, they don't do the things that they used to do anymore. They're sitting in their room for long periods of time. I'm going to need you to get them to their primary to get a referral so that they can see a mental health professional. The second thing is don't push them to show you the scar. You just have to be observant. So that means when they're coming out the shower, that means when you're going out to, to dinner, I need you to pay attention to these areas. I need you to pay attention to things like it's 90 degrees outside and they got on a long sweater. I need you to pay attention to that. They're layering bracelets all the way up here. Yes, it could be for fashion, but if they're doing it every day, every day, it could be that they're hiding it. I need th those to me would say, and that's why we named it Don't Ignore the Scars because I was ignoring it because I didn't see it. Let me tell you something, Alana. I saw a little cut. Most, most parents, caregivers, they see a little something. They just be like, oh yeah, you see it. You know something's not right. But in your, in your heart, you're saying, maybe they're outgrowing. Don't take that chance. Don't take that risk. It's better for you to be safe than sorry. Thank you, thank you. And I, I hope everyone takes that into mind when they check on their daughters. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So tell the audience how you realized that she was cutting and you can tell the story and I'm already crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, oof. So um, I had been recently divorced because at this point, um, it's a lot of strain on our marriage. Um, it's a lot. When you are um, trying to build your own career and keep your family together, and you have a child who's struggling with um, psychological issues, FYI, her sister, as she came along, she had a diagnosis of ADHD. So now I have two kids that have issues. And so I ended up getting divorced and we moved. I also was taking care of my grandmother who was had stage four lung cancer. And so I had just moved to this um, new apartment. I had to relocate my kids from a house that they used to have in all this space to an apartment now because I've downsized. And so now we have less space and we have our grandmother in the same house. It's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff going on in the house, a lot of adjustment. 
change triggers things um, in, in our kids that are already struggling with self-harm and self-injury. I did not know that. So I'm thinking she's um, going to therapy. I'm thinking that things are okay. Um, and so when I go into the room to check on V, um, it was weird because she always had these lights in her room and it was these red lights that were all in her room for decorations. And when I saw her hanging off the bed, it was blood everywhere. And so a part of me kind of was like, is that really blood? Or is it something like, you know, your mind doesn't want to really. And so like, when I saw her, it was just blood oozing everywhere. And I froze for a second and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, oh my gosh. And so, I ran to the bathroom and I grabbed some towels. I'm sorry. I grabbed some towels and I wrapped her arms. I put them above her head and I just held her and I cradled her and I took her to the bathroom and I'm just putting all this cold water on her, trying to shock her to wake up. She was so lifeless. And, um, I realized at that point, this is really bad. And so at that point, I ended up having to uh, obviously get the wounds treated and I ended up having to put her into treatment. Um, I had to have her hospitalized and uh, it was crazy because I, I remember telling her dad and I remember him saying, she's just doing that shit for attention. And I was like, how could you say something like that? Um, and so I really felt alone. Um, I didn't have anybody that I could really talk to, which is why it's so important that don't ignore the scars, be healing partners for parents and for youth. Because one, your loved one doesn't want you to tell everybody. So it's like, she's literally like, mom, don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. And I'm saying to myself, I'm such a failure. How can you be in a child welfare system? How could you have clients that you've hospitalized? And how the heck do you miss this? And um, it was a really, really difficult time. It was really hard. Um, but I will say she got the best help. Um, she ended up spending 30 days in a, um, I thought they would have to do inpatient for her, but she ended up going to the day school. And so that was a program where instead of her going to school every day, she went there and um, she had to kind of learn how to like cope with, with um, this type of addiction. And I had to figure out how to manage it. And um, it's really difficult. I'm sorry. Please don't apologize. What I hear you saying, like when you blame yourself, I see no reason. And I don't know, everyone does it. You don't want anything to happen to your children. But yeah. you really did create a life for your kids that you didn't have, you know, not just materialistically, but you were already 
there. You were there for them as a mother. And I think that could be missed because I think a lot of people associate um, that type of behavior or depression or whatever on a certain group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of like how, um, um, I can't remember that show on CBS, but remember how everyone thinks like murders and stuff only happen in inner cities, but there yes. are, yeah, yes. are, yeah, affluent yeah. communities that are suffering with the same type of drug abuse and murder and all of that. It's just that they don't speak about it. And yeah. I think I would have been the same way, you know, like, because you've given your child everything, you've moved them out you know, and yeah. love to another life. So it's yeah. completely understandable and entirely not your fault. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I definitely do. I um I will say this. Um it definitely wasn't until um Victoria went through that. It was a combination of things that have motivated me to draw power from this. Um one, I wanted to model for her what it meant to truly freely express yourself and to normalize it for her. And so I started being very intentional about the way that I lived my life. Um, there, there were times where being with a man, I was very submissive and I'm not downplaying submissiveness because I know that there's a place for it. But when you as a woman compromise who you are and you don't say what you feel, doesn't have to necessarily be confrontational, but when you don't live your life like that, all your children see is you playing dress up and, and not expressing emotion when they know, because kids know, kids know when you're miserable, whether you want to hide it or not. Mm -hmm. And I know, know that there's a level of protection that we need to give our kids at certain ages, but then it gets to a point when they're older, life is the best lesson for them. And so now I make sure that if I feel sad, it's okay that Jay, who's 14 season, I'm sad. Because what it does is it normalizes the whole emotion that when you feel something, it's okay to feel it. I'd rather for our youth to feel it, to tell you, you know what, today was a terrible day and I felt this small. Then to go and take a knife or a razor and cut and use that as a release instead of just crying or saying it. I did that. And with V, I'm so proud of her. She is she has become this fearless advocate, just warrior almost, as it relates to, I will not let another person, another youth cut on themselves and sit in a room and bleed out like I did because we accidentally went too deep. And so don't ignore the scars. It's all about that, Alana. It's all about bringing about awareness of, of this addiction because it is addictive. When you go into therapy, they're not saying to you, you know what, you, your kid is going to crave this like, 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 like a, a substance abuser would, would crave a drug. They don't, they don't tell you that. You have to read and do your own research and then through your own experiences. When I tell you, she would say, mommy, it's so hard. It's so hard not to cut. And so then you deal with now you got to change your whole life around because you can't have sharps in the house. You can even, 
things that you never thought that a youth could use to cut themselves, I'm telling you, they can do it. They can do it. I, I was I was sitting there, I had a, a thumbtack. I was like a thumbtack in a wall like they're not going to pay attention to a thumbtack. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Some people take erasers and go up and down till it burns. It's all these different signs. And so like, I really, really, it's been years coming and you know that Alana, because when I shared my story with you a couple years ago, it actually is the panel discussion that you were on that actually empowered me enough to start thinking about what can I do to draw more power from this pain instead of just letting it sit and fester. And because you and the other panelists was like, listen, honey, you got to tell your story. Your, your girl's got to tell her story. You have so many lives that can be saved and so many parents and youth that are struggling with this. Like you got to say something. And, and I, I so appreciate you for being that in my life and that space. It wasn't by chance that our paths crossed. I it wasn't by chance. And honestly, it wasn't by chance that he chose you and your daughter to go through what you're going through. He built you for the trial, for the tribulation, and for the journey back to healing because he knows that you're going to help others. And that's what you were meant to do. So it Thank wasn't you. an accident that you were there. Thank you. <laughs> and that's I appreciate what your show that. was all about. And I think that's what your show was all about, right? You Which a one? Show, uh, Candid Convos. Oh, yes. So Candid, wow. yes. So Candid Convos is actually a live show that we um, do every Friday at 7. Um, my co-host and my partner, um, T. And one of the reasons why we started it was because we wanted to provide a platform for women um, to share their emotions, their hardships, and just unapologetically say what they feel. And that is something that I am so happy that um, V has co-produced co a couple of episodes. And it actually is a fun way for us to have fun, let down our hair. We talk about some serious topics and issues, but we also make it where, you know what? Some days you got to laugh so you don't cry. So you can't take everything so seriously. So um, I'm happy that we, uh, a couple months ago, celebrated our 20th episode. And um, in June, we'll be coming up on a, a year of us of us having Candid Convos with T and Kia. Cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Meaning to watch, but I will make sure, because yours are live, mine are not. So but we do record them. They are recorded. Um, and so if you go on YouTube, we have a YouTube um, channel. You can just type in Candid Convos with Tia Kia. You can catch up. I will say this. It's not for the, <laughs> it's not for the, <laughs> for the, if you're like super religious or you're super anything, it's probably not for you because we have some real clincher pearl moments. <laughs> we talk about everything. And that's why I want to see the live. So I'm going to oh, yeah, so get in the comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to have to um, check out the live Friday at seven. Actually, it'll be Absolutely. six for me, which is part of my problem because yeah we six you're you're an hour behind yeah yeah i'm an hour behind um okay so i want to ask you and i ask all of my guests these final questions okay. what is your superpower um i wrote something but i'm wondering if it is that um my superpower I think my superpower is my compassion. 
and my ability to see people for who they are and not who I want them to be. Yep. Yep. I, I saw what you wrote. Can I share? Please. Yeah, you wrote nurturing, but yeah. during this whole interview, I was like, it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Thank you. Yeah. And I came from, you know, just how you were living and the hurt that you went through and then your, the hurt that your daughter went through too, the compassion and seeing them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You don't want anyone to go through what you went through. I really don't. Yeah. So what would you like to tell anyone who's gone through or is going through what you endured? I want parents and caregivers to kind of dismiss this whole premise that you can't be your kid's friend. Because I think that in itself is extremely outdated. And I'm going to continue to challenge on every platform that I have this whole notion that you can't be their friend. I think that, say that again. Yeah. Because what I've heard a lot when I say that, when I've said that, is you can't do that because it sends mixed signals to your kid about who the parent is and who the kid is. If you do, if you're your kid's friend, then they won't respect you. They won't see you as an authority. I'm gonna to continue to challenge that because it's not about them seeing you as authority. Because we know from studying human behavior that the least effective form of parenting is the authoritative one, that militant. That's the least effective, okay? So your, your kid doesn't need to see you as their overseer. That's not gonna work. And these kids are from a different breed. They're a different generation. They're not like you. They're, li they're not like... Um, you know, me, they're not like this. And so we have to evolve. Evolution is inevitable. We have to change with the times and we're going to miss a lot. So I will say, make sure that you open your mind up to having a genuine relationship with your kid, your youth, your adolescent. Because if you don't have this connection, they're not going to feel comfortable with you. And they're not going to be able to be able to show you when or tell you when they feel weak and weary. That's one. Two, please don't do like so many in our Black community are doing and be afraid to seek treatment. Don't do that, okay? It's this, this whole stigma attached to if I'm in mental health treatment, that means I'm crazy, that means I'm weak. It doesn't. It's to the contrary. It means that you're powerful. It means that you're observant. It means that you give a shit. Excuse my life. So do not ignore the fact that your youth needs more help than you can give them. Because my thing was, I, my, my own arrogance, my own, I, I, I'm, I'm a social worker, so my kids are good. That's fine. No, I can't, I couldn't give her what she needed. Even, even looking back, I can't give her what she needed. I couldn't be objective enough. So don't be afraid to seek mental health treatment when you know that you are, this has gone above and beyond. Okay. Do not do that. Another thing that I want to honestly push right now is leaning on your village. I kept to myself and that seclusion did a lot. I started drinking more. Um, I was, and that's the way I was coping. I was isolating. I had anxiety for a while. I had to be on medication for anxiety. When you have people around you that you, that love you and trust you. Yes. Your young one is going to say, I don't want you to expose me. I don't want, but you know what? You are going to need help 
processing all these new emotions you're feeling. You're going to need to cry on somebody and that's okay. You don't always have to be the strong one. As mothers, as caregivers, we feel like we always have to have this armor on and be strong all the time. And we don't have to be. So lean on your village. If they want to come and take you out to dinner or go get a pedicure, get, take you to go get a pedicure or take you to a movie, do it. Because self-care is everything when you are a caregiver of this type, of this magnitude. Well said, well said. And it's easy for us to, just because we're human and we're mothers to ignore ourselves, but yeah. when our child is going through something, we put all of our energy and effort on them and yeah. then we forget about taking care of ourselves. So. Absolutely, Alana, because you know what? As much as I wanted my world to stop while, I, while she was in this day program, while I was trying to hide all the sharps in the house, it doesn't. I still had to go to work. I still had to, you know, go to the market. I still had to tend to all these other things. It, they don't stop. Yeah. So um, if someone wants, if someone discovers that they have a child who's cutting, of course they seek help in their area, um, but they could also reach out to your organization for support as well, right? Absolutely. So um, don't ignore the scars um, at gmail.com is a great way you can send a confidential, everything that you send to us in that email is confidential and will not be shared with anybody at all. Um, I know some people are very inbox um, social media. So we are on IG. So if you want to go to dits underscore KV, so it's D as in dog, I, T as in Tom, S as in Sam underscore KV on IG. You can send us a private message that way or email. We're working on our website. I'm excited. That's coming soon. So you'll be able to do that. Next um, Saturday, we will be having our first, our launch of Don't Ignore the Scars, our first information session where you get to um, meet your healing partners, which include a licensed clinical um, social worker, um, your healing partners, myself, um, and V, your youth healing partner, um, who will be sharing tips as well. So stay tuned on DITS KV. We'll be showing, um, sharing tips. And after we record next Saturday at 3.30, it's an event, um, Eventbrite um, thing. All our seats are gone. I'm happy, but I'm kind of sad at the same time. Um, but after that, we will also be um, offering healing groups um, that will be led by the, um, the clinical social worker and myself. And um, you will be able to also start to order trainings, which are modules that we will have all about the different um, stages that self-harm and self-injury goes through. We'll have a specific focus on cutting for the first several modules. So stay tuned. We have a lot coming for you guys. Wow, that is, that's incredible. That's a lot. You've you. been working. It's been a lot of work, <laughs> but, I, but, it's, but it's weird because you know how you work on something and don't feel like work. You, you, next thing you know, you've been sitting at your, your table, your desk is three in the morning. You're like, Ooh, I've been, but I love it. Yeah, I, lo I love it. I, I love it. It doesn't feel like work. So um, I, oh, what's next for you? You just, you mentioned the support you're providing, but what else do you have going on? Yeah, so honestly, um, next, in addition to what I've already said, obviously, um, the book that V and I are working on is, well, my part is done. She still has a couple more pieces to add. Um, we've identified a publishing house that we're interested in. 
Um, we more than likely will go the self-publishing route. <laughs> um, so we're excited um, about um, Victimless Soldiers coming out. So stay tuned. Great, that's amazing. Yeah. And my final question, when all is said and done with your time on this earth, how would you like to be remembered? Ooh, you dig right on in a lot. <laughs> um, I was fearless that um, my resiliency, that I was this resilient, um, dynamic, fearless woman who in spite of every obstacle that was thrown in front of her, um, she endured, she conquered, and she lived life in her beautiful brown skin. In my beautiful brown skin that I have come to love. Yes. So. yes. Thank you so much for Thank you. your time here and sharing your story. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to close out. So thanks for joining us for this episode of Power From Pain. If you have feedback on today's story, comment below or email me directly. I'd love to hear from you. Make sure to subscribe so you can join us again for another incredible story. And don't forget to subscribe to my email list for even more inspiration. Links and email addresses for the show and today's guest can be found in the show notes. Thanks again. Stay safe and be well. Bye.